0: From the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I wanna thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God.
1: Our first scripture reading comes from the Old Testament from the book of Psalms, chapter 104, verses 24 through 35. Listen for and hear the word of God. O Lord, how manifold are your works! In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there, living things both small and great. There go the ships and the Leviathan you form to sport in it. These all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever may the lord rejoice in his works who looks on the earth and it trembles who touches the mountains and they smoke i will sing to the lord as long as i live i will sing praise to my god while i have being may my meditation be pleasing to him for i rejoice in the lord let sinners be consumed from the earth and let the wicked be no more bless the lord O my soul praise the lord this is the word of the lord thanks May be to god to you. Thank, you. Thank, you. Good job.
0: thank you mason rose well it's wonderful i see uh, many children with us today we're glad that you're here for those who would like to participate in godly play miss sarah kate is right over there uh, you're encouraged to join her and she'll take you right next door for a time of storytelling and a time of fellowship. And as they're departing, friends, uh, the second chapter of the book of Acts from Luke's uh, second volume uh, is the text that is traditionally set before us uh, today on Pentecost Sunday, page 111 in your pew Bibles if you'd like to follow along. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven. There came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Uh, Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at the sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in their mother tongue, in their native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my servants, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall speak, they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Shall be saved. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? Lord, break open this uh, word afresh to us this day so that we would feel your spirit, that we would sense your spirit, that you would lead us by that same spirit, and in particular, that you would give us words, that you would give us speech, that you would give us the language of the gospel and the language of pentecost we pray this in christ's name amen uh, late night host uh, jimmy kimmel uh, launched a bit on his show a few years ago uh, it's called meme tweets some of you have seen this along the way uh, for those who haven't the concept is to video record celebrities right actors or actresses athletes musicians, uh, politicians, uh, to have these celebrities read real tweets about themselves that real people wrote. Now they are often vulgar and crass and demeaning and more times than not they're filled with expletives that are not appropriate for a Sunday morning sermon. The harshness of the words uh, is somewhat glossed over by the fact that these Celebrities, as they read these mean tweets about themselves, they just sort of laugh it off. They, they just sort of joke about it. Sometimes they'll offer a quick-witted clap back or retort uh, to the original message and messenger. Now, it's interesting to note uh, that just this week, and considering the ubiquitous nature of the mean tweet phenomenon, that just this week... Twitter recently launched a new feature on their platform to help curb meanness. Through complex algorithms, Twitter is now able to detect the composition of a mean tweet while it's being composed in real time. And what they'll do is prior to you sending your mean tweet, Twitter will send a pop-up message that will ask one simple question. Want to review this before tweeting? The user is then presented with three options. Tweet, edit, or delete. When Twitter piloted this technology all of last year, they did it with a, a small sample size of its users. And they found that, interestingly, they found that when prompted, when prompted, 34% of the users who are testing this feature out, 34% of the users decided to revise their initial tweet or not send it at all. One out of three isn't bad to curb meanness. Well, despite Twitter's attempts to make us a little less cruel and a little less callous, uh, does it not seem to you that speech and rhetoric and tone have all gotten a little bit more intense in our times? Perhaps a little bit nastier. A little bit more awful, more wicked, perhaps even more vulgar. I mean, just look at what passes for good comedy today, whether it's on the screen or on the stand-up stage. Not to sound too puritanical about this, but, but much of what passes as good comedy is super raunchy. And look at our political rhetoric or our social media feeds, or even our interactions in our everyday living, whether we're stuck in traffic on Peachtree or 75, and what we might say out our window in those moments, or just the common interactions that we have with the people closest to us, our language, our speech far too often lacks virtue. Our language and our speech far too often lacks empathy or compassion or understanding. In many ways, it lacks sophistication. Our speech lacks dignity, it lacks awareness, and it lacks depth. Our speech, the way we talk to each other, the way we talk with each other in our time, I would humbly suggest is not all that it could be. I was thinking about speech in preparation for this Pentecost Sunday because so much of the Pentecost story is about language. So much of the Pentecost story is about speech making. So much of the Pentecost story is about talk. It's about what is said. It's wrapped up, this story, in language and in word acts and in dialogue. And within the story itself, within the original Greek text, there is an indication, perhaps even an invitation, to elevate our speech. To consider what an elevated speech might be look like elevated to a higher moral plane you see pentecost people people filled with the holy spirit i'd like to suggest engage others in their speech and in their talk in a different way than the world is accustomed to make that point i want to turn your attention and our attention back to acts 2 and the story of the coming of the holy spirit and in this story we're immediately clued in that language and talk and speech are going to be super important subject matter within this particular text the spirit comes upon the disciples it says with a violent and rushing wind that filled the whole house and then luke says suddenly divided what tongues as a fire hovered about their heads this word that we translate as tongues from the greek to the english can can mean literally your tongue a member of your of your your body, uh, which of course the tongue is so very important for verbal communication, but this word in the Greek also signifies language. More specifically, it can be used in ancient Greek to signify somebody's mother tongue. It can be a word to describe someone's native language, their first language, their primary language. So right away, in the first couple of verses of this text, we're clued in that this story is going to be about words and talk and speech and language. This Pentecost story is connected to the linguistic. As you know, as the story unfolds, the Spirit sends the disciples out and and in turn they have now the gift of speaking a tongue, a language that wasn't their native tongue, it wasn't their mother tongue and people are able to understand them. The global pilgrims who have descended upon Jerusalem to celebrate this annual festival hear their own languages spoken and they understand. Now I want to dig a little bit deeper into the text and and, and start that by saying something about the verb to speak. Now in, in, in the Greek, uh, and this occurs many, many times in the New Testament. There is just a simple straightforward to describe the action of speaking. It's a very straightforward. There's nothing clever about it. It just means uh, to talk. It means to, to, to speak. And that word, in its most simplest form, shows up in Acts 2:4. And I want to read that verse again. In English, it says, "All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak, just speak, to talk in other languages as the spirit gave them ability now this is a super clean english translation of the greek but as you explore this text a little bit more deeply uh, we come to a more literal le- read of the text and it and it actually shows us that there are two different words to describe speaking the one simple and common word that I just referenced earlier, but a second word that means something on a higher level, that means talk and speech at a different plane. And so if you were to read the Greek literally, you actually see the word to speak, two different in the Greek, You, you, you see it appear twice, but you only see in English it appear once, okay? So if you were to read the text literally, the way it shows up in the Greek, it would read like this. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages utterances or talk as the Spirit gave them ability. Do you see the difference there? A second word for speech that is not the simple word just to describe someone talking, but but it's a different kind of talk. It's a different level of talk. And so adding the word utterances, right, it would make this sentence super clunky, in the English, but this word, I think, is incredibly important to understand what kind of talk, what kind of speech the disciples are engaging in. The Greek word, the the word that we would translate to the word utterance, it actually only appears three times in the whole New Testament, and it's all at the pen of Luke the gospel writer in the book of Acts. It's used here as I referenced in 2.4, and it's again referenced in 2.14 when Peter, it says, not only speaks to the crowd, not only does he talk to the crowd, but he utters to the crowd. This this higher level of speech. He's not just talking, he's offering something more. And it shows up a third time in Acts 26.25, when the Apostle Paul is describing his conversion experience. And Paul says something that's very similar to what Peter said 24 chapters earlier. Paul said, I'm not out of my mind, but I am uttering sober truth. Sober truth, right? See the interplay between drunkenness and sobriety between those two texts, right? We're not drunk. We're not out of our minds. We're actually really serious. And we've got something serious to say. And so this word in particular, what I want you to understand is that this word indicates an elevated type of speech. It's a more virtuous, it's more sobering, it's more serious kind of talk. It's careful speech, and it's care-filled speech. It's not glib or haphazard, it is speech that is authentic, and it's sincere. And I think it's important to note uh, something that we all know to be true, right? I think you all know this to be true. One can be authentic and one can be sincere and still be mean, right? One can speak with sobriety and still be a jerk. Canadian theologian Kenneth Hamilton once told this story to illustrate the point. He describes a university teacher who is known for their abrasive retorts to their students and and condescending way of speaking to them. And, And once in class, he asked the students, how would you define poetry? How would you define poetry? And one earnest student raised their hands and and and, and answered and said, I believe poetry to be authentic and sincere emotion expressed in fitting words. And the professor said, That's stupid. That's ridiculous. Phooey on you. And then the professor said, That's my sincere feeling, suitably expressed. This is how I authentically feel about what you just said, and it's not poetry. And the theologian, Dr. Hamilton, in interpreting this scene said this, the exchange for me illustrates the limitations of sincerity. By itself, sincerity guarantees neither good poetry nor good manners. Right? In, our, in our time and in our culture, a lot's been written and a lot's been said about authenticity and about sincerity. And I believe that we should pursue those virtues. Brene Brown is probably the, the leading thinker on, on these ideas, on these virtues. And I would not detract from anything that she says. But the Christian right knows something else about authenticity and sincerity. We know that authenticity and sincerity does not guarantee that the moral good will arrive. We know that authenticity and sincerity by itself does not guarantee virtue. What is more, you you can be sincere and be totally wrong. Right? I mean, one can be earnest or serious and still tell an untruth. One can be authentic and still be self-serving. People can be sincere in their violence. They can be sincere in their hatred. They can be sincere in their self-centeredness. Sincerity alone does not produce virtue or virtuous talk. And so what I'd like to suggest for us this morning is that for Pentecost people, like you and like me, our speech and our talk, what we say and how we say it, must push beyond the limits of authenticity and sincerity. Our speech as Pentecost people must be rooted in the speech of God, in the language of God. And what is the language of God all about? The language of God is the language of love and blessing and purpose for this world. It's the language of of God's mission to save the world, to reconcile the world. The purposes of God are to bring you and me together as the family of God. That was the message the first disciples proclaimed on that Pentecost. And later in Acts 2... Now, Peter clearly articulates these purposes in his declaration that God raised Jesus from the dead and defeated the principalities and powers of the world. In other words, the language of God won the day. The talk of God, the speech of God won the day as Christ's mission was vindicated in his resurrection. That the speech that pours forth from the disciples... Is mirrored after the speech that pours forth from the very mouth of God, which is good news. It's good news. Our speech should be embedded and rooted in goodness. In good news. Now, it's not lost to me that not every single conversation you're going to engage in that we'll engage in, every dialogue or, or speech act is going to be like evangelistic or, or theological in a formal sense. All of our conversations are not going to look like the conversations that took place at Pente- on Pentecost. But I want to suggest to you that as Pentecost people, as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, that our language should be rooted in the good news, that, that should be an anchor, that that should be a guide, that our speech and our conversation and how we show up with language in the world should bring light, not heat. Our speech should elevate the other, not tear them down. Our speech should not be retaliatory or vengeful or, or shaming, that our speech should de-escalate, right? Not perpetuate brokenness or division or violence. Pentecost people's lives are rooted in the gospel are rooted in a particular language, a, a particular mother tongue. And that gospel shapes the way we talk and the way we speak with one another and the way we speak to the world. Now the scriptures, right, are littered, are littered with this encouragement and with this exhortation. right? I, in my own accounting, I found over a 100 scripture texts talking about the way we talk Ephesians 4, 29, let no evil talk come out of your mouths, but only what is useful for building up, as there is need, so that your words may give grace to those who hear. Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. I love Psalm 141, 3. Maybe the coder for Twitter had this on their desk. Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Some of us would do well to pray that prayer every day. I'm being one of them. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Psalm 37, 31, the mouths of the righteous utter wisdom and their tongues speak justice. And so on this Pentecost Sunday, when so much of this story is about talk, when so much of the story is about speech, when so much of the story is about language and communication, and when so much of our world is broken around the way we talk with each other and about each other and to each other, that we're called to not just speak, but we're called to a higher level of utterance on a different moral and virtuous plane as Christians, rooted in the good news of the gospel. And so my hope and my prayer is that we would learn to speak this language, that we would demonstrate for the world the language of God that's rooted in goodness, and that we would evaluate our speech to be serious about that, the way we speak on social media, or the way we speak to each other, to our family members, to our spouses, our, our partners, our children, our siblings, our closest friends, our parents? Is our speech Pentecost speech? Is is our language rooted in the proclamation of goodness and virtue? Or is it something else? That's what the world needs. People who speak the language of Pentecost. May we be such people for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world. Amen. Pentecost people learn to speak the language of God, a language empowered by the Holy Spirit, a language that encourages us as we speak in serious matters, in the not-so-serious matters, and everything in between, to speak with goodness, to speak with virtue, to speak with grace, for that is the message of the gospel. That is the message that was proclaimed 2,000 years ago, and it's the message that we still carry, these utterances that we still bring into the world. And for that journey and for our speech, may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. May his peace live inside of you this day and every day ahead. Amen. Amen.